We're in Lesson 15. And we're going to look at the issue of apostasy because Jude really is talking about the issue of apostasy. Now, as we start this lesson, can anybody tell me what a definition of apostasy is? What the definition of apostasy is? How many of you have ever heard that term, an apostate? All right. You might even hear that term a lot used with reference to Muslims as they refer to non-Muslims as apostates. So you and I would be considered an apostate to a non-Muslim. So let me ask you a question. What is a definition of apostasy? Well, that's why you're here, George. Apostasy is the turning from the faith. Turning from the faith. And I'm not surprised you guys didn't have a definition of that because here's what happens, especially in our circles where we believe in eternal security. We have a tendency to think that nobody can leave the faith. We, you know, because we believe once saved, always saved. So we have this tendency to think that nobody can leave the faith. Now, let me just, I want to help you to understand something. Is everyone who says they're saved, saved? How do you know that? Do you know that? Okay, the Bible says to search the scriptures to make sure you're saved. Somebody else said something else over here. By their fruits. Alright, their fruits. Now, that's true. The Bible does say that. Search the scriptures, examine their fruits, and you can tell where a person is at. But is that foolproof? No. See, here's the thing. Not everyone who claims to have the faith has the faith. And really, apostasy is dealing with those who claim to have the faith, but they turn away from it. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Because if you're truly saved, you're truly saved. But there are people who claim to have the faith, and you don't know who they are. You say, well, we should be able to examine their works. Well, remember Jesus said this, in that day they'll appear before me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these great things in your name, casting out demons, you know, all these miracles and stuff, in your name? And, he, and they did it in Jesus' name. And he'll say what? Depart from me, what? I never knew you. So these folks thought they were saved. So it's very possible to think you're saved and you're not. But we're going to deal with an issue today of people who think they're saved who end up turning away from the faith and they apostatize. That is, they turn away from the faith and they commit apostasy. And that does happen. It's happening all around us. Now, here's the tendency, though, that we have in our circle of churches is because they claim salvation later, and then they end up apostatizing and turning away from the faith, but they go on and live like hell, like everybody else, we still think they're okay because we remember when they prayed a prayer when? Back when they were a child or something. Now, you're saying, well, aren't they saved? Salvation, let me explain something to you. Salvation is never referred to as a pastime event in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. You're not going to find it referred to as a pastime event of a decision made long ago. Salvation is always referred to as a present-time event with a future hope. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? A present-time event with a future hope. Because you are, it's always, and, and if you look at the epistles, especially with the epistles of Paul, he is always trying to urge you to examine your life or work out your salvation. Not that you're working for salvation, but that salvation is reflected in your life now. He's always talking about in reference to your salvation right now. Does everybody understand me? 
So the issue of apostasy is good, but what we've done is we've kind of overlooked it, and we said, well, they're okay, even though they're not living right. But here's Jude. He's going to give some warnings about apostasy, especially apostate teachers. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look, first of all, at the greeting, because you're wondering, who in the world is Jude? Well, we're going to find out here. Look with me, verses 1 to 2. First of all, the greeting in the epistle of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So the first thing I want you to see, guys, is, first of all, the author. Jude identifies himself as a slave to Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, let me explain to you which James we're talking about here. We're talking about James the Elder, that is, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, who wrote the epistle James that we have. Now, who was James? Anybody? That James. Who was that James? Everybody know who he was? He was the half-brother of who? Of Jesus. Jude is the brother of James, so what does that make him in relationship to Jesus? Half-brother. Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to notice, because there's something I want you to grasp here, just from this first verse. How does Jude refer himself in relationship to Jesus here? What does he say about himself in relationship to Jesus? Slave. Now, does, does that strike anybody as significant? Like, for instance, if I went back here and said, Hi, this is Sam Weiser, a slave to Mark Weiser. How would that go with you, Sam? It would be rough, yeah. Now, if I said, This is Sam Weiser, a brother to Mark Weiser, that's a little bit better, isn't it? Now, here's what I want you to understand. And James does the same thing in his epistle. They grew up with Jesus. They're half-brothers. They share the same mother. But I want you to understand something. Both James and Jude understand who Jesus Christ is. He's not their brother. He's God. You understand what I'm saying? He's Lord. Because you, you, you see what I'm saying. It's not, a, it's not like, oh, they're claiming some special right here because of family. If anything, they would be embarrassed because remember during Jesus' ministry, the, one of the Gospels tells us very specifically that Jesus was called crazy by his own family and his brothers. I think it is John that refers to that. So the very brothers who are servants now, do you understand, they're the ones who thought he was crazy when he was doing his ministry. Because they didn't understand at that point. So here's what I want you to see. This is especially good for you and I, and especially because today in the morning worship service we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. One of the dangers that is happening today in the church, it's happening in our church, it's happening in a lot of churches in North America, is this. We have made Jesus too much of a buddy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my friend. And, and there is a sense in which he is. But you've got to always qualify that with who he really is. Who is he really? He's God. He's deity. He's Lord. Listen, in fact, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John, who in the Gospel of John that he wrote, he just refers to himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
and you look in that gospel and you see that there's an intimacy, a love that that disciple has for Jesus and an adoration that that disciple. And Jesus returns that affection to him. When you go to John, Revelation, chapter 1, and John sees the risen Jesus, does he do this? Yo, Jesus, high five! Grab to see you. Give me a hug. Is that, is that what he does there? Yeah, Tom said he falls down as dead when he sees the risen Christ. Why? Because he has an understanding of who Jesus is. A comprehension of his deity. A comprehension of his lordship. See, this is what I'm trying to say to you. I think we've lost that in our churches today. Here is somebody that grew up with him. And what does he say that he is to Jesus? A slave. A slave. So, uh, that's, that's something to think about, something to ponder about. Here's the other one. The letter is addressed to those who have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. The letter is addressed to those who have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look with me. Look at verse 1, that second part of verse 1. There's a couple of things I want you to see there about the salvation experience that have taken place in your life. To those who are called... Okay, the first thing I want you to see there, the first aspect of salvation is you are called. You understand, you came to salvation because the Holy Spirit called you. You came to salvation because the Holy Spirit called No one comes unto the Father except the Spirit draws them. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, so you see the call aspect. Then he says, sanctified. Now, this is the second aspect of salvation. You are sanctified. That is, you are made holy. You are positionally holy before God, all right? So he accepts you. I mean, even though you're doing wrong, he has made you holy. That's what sanctification is. And then the final thing he says there, preserved. Now, what does that mean? We already talked about it a little bit. That's the eternal security aspect of it. He gives you the Holy Spirit, Ephesians says in chapter 1, as your seal unto the day of redemption. That's your guarantee. You are preserved for heaven later on. That's, that's really what? All of salvation encompassed there. So he's addressing this letter specifically to those who have experienced salvation. So is this letter for unchristians, non-Christians? No. This letter is for believers. So then he gives a greeting, which is in verse 2, which is a common greeting. He bestows a blessing of mercy, love, and peace on his readers. He bestows a blessing of mercy, love, and peace on his readers. Now, here we're going to get into the heart of the rest of this epistle, which is not very long. It's only 25 verses. But the heart of it is in verses 3 through 16, and it has to do with warnings concerning apostasy. Warnings concerning apostasy. So look with me. Look at verse 3. We'll read verses 3 through 16. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, 
who did not keep their proper dominion, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, having run greedily in the air of Balaam, and for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them for their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and complainers, walking according to their own lusts, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Okay, so let's, let's look here at these warnings. First of all, there's a purpose. He's going to explain his purpose in writing this epistle. He would like to write them as an encouragement concerning their salvation. The first thing he says to them, guys, he said, I would like to write you concerning as an encouragement for your salvation. You know, really, Jude's desire here is really what our desire should be when we gather together, is that we want to encourage one another in our salvation. See, we've got the mindset that salvation is later on when, I'm, when I die and, and I get, you know, get a mansion and, and walk down the streets of gold. And so the concept is, is that we think in terms of salvation the later on, but salvation is now. Salvation is now. And because salvation is now, you and I need to stir up each other to walk in our salvation. Because remember, I told you, salvation is not some past time event. Salvation is what? Present time with a future glory. So I'm going to encourage you, stir you up to good works. Stir you up in your faith. And this is what, this is what Jude's thinking is, is. I want to write you guys to stir you up in your faith. But he goes on and says this, he must write to encourage them to contend for the faith. He's saying, guys, I really want to spend this letter encouraging you in your salvation, but the whole purpose for me writing this letter is so that I can stir you up to contend for the faith. Now, notice how he describes the faith. He describes the faith here as, look at what he says there, 
I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. So there's got to be some effort there for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So this faith is the faith that has been passed down for generations and you and I need to contend for it. Now, what does the word contend mean? Fight. So, uh, you know, I like boxing. You know, I, I used to like to watch boxing a lot. When we were in Canada, I used to go over to this gentleman's house. He invited me over every time there was boxing on and I watched boxing with him. And they talk about a guy being a contender. That's, that's somebody who's going to fight. He's somebody who's going to fight. So you and I have to fight for our faith. Now, Here's the reason why. He tells us in verse 4. False teachers have slipped into the churches who deny the truth of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is he's saying that false teachers have slipped into the churches who deny what? The truth of Jesus Christ. And this happens all the time. Here, let me explain to you how it happens. Because... Do you know that 75% of churches in the United States average 75 or less in their attendance? Did you know that? 75% of churches in the United States average 75 people or less in their churches. You've got small churches who are 75. What is always one of the biggest needs in a church, a small church? What's always one of the biggest needs in a small church? Not just a pastor. What did you say, Mary? Workers, specifically what kind of workers? Anywhere from the nursery up, but specifically, I mean, we even have that need here. We're always looking for what? Teachers. So, here you are, you're a small congregation, and of, of that uh, 75% churches, 30% of them are 50 or less, of those 75 you're looking for teachers. You're always looking for teachers. So there's a tendency to what? Grab any breathing body who wants to teach. Now, what's the danger of that? There's a danger there. What's the danger? Yeah, they could be false. Do you understand what I'm saying? They could be false. You say, surely not. That wouldn't happen. History shows it. Did you know that Jesse James was a Sunday school teacher in his home church? Did you know that? He was, and, 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 and the Baptist church in the community where he came from, he was a Sunday school teacher. Now, he would rob banks during the week, but he was a Sunday school teacher. I'm sure they needed teachers back then. You know, you know it's not, nothing's new under the sun, is it? So James is encouraging us. He's saying, look, I, I want to write you to encourage you in your salvation, but I'm writing, I find it necessary to write you to contend for the faith. That is, for you to fight for the faith, to stand up for the faith, because here's a reality. There are going to be false teachers who will slip in among you, and they're going to deny even the lordship of Jesus Christ, His deity. They're going to teach you contrary things. See, we've got to be on our guard. Well, hey, George, we know everybody here. It's a small town. We know everybody... No, you don't. You know their public appearance, but how many of you know what goes on in homes? Not at all, right? I mean, it looks good outside, but we don't really know each other. And in fact, think about it. How often are you shocked when you hear about someone when something is revealed? You're like, oh, wow, whoo, never thought that. Give me a break. That can't be real. But then you find out it is real. See, what I'm trying to say to you is, is 
you and I have to be on our guard and be ready to contend for the faith, and especially in this area of selecting teachers. And we do, just to be honest, we do do that here. You just can't get up in a pulpit here and teach. I've had people come. This happened to me four years ago. I had somebody come, visit me, and uh, he holds a different doctrinal position than I do, than we do here as the church. And, you know, I told him he was more than welcome to come. But then he said, well, if, if you're ever gone out of the pulpit, which you guys know is very rare that I'm out of the pulpit here, uh, I will preach for you. And so I had to very kindly and lovingly say to that individual, you know, so-and-so, here's the problem. You will, you'll never be able to teach here. Why? I said, well, because what you believe, you can't even be a member here. And so if you, don't even, if you can't even meet the qualifications for membership as far as what we believe, you'll never be able to get in, be able to teach. You understand what I'm saying? Because we have a responsibility to put in our pulpit and in our teaching platforms here people who are holding to the doctrine that we believe is from Christ, period. Now, he didn't come back. I'm not surprised. Because what was he interested in? Teaching. But he was interested, and he even said to me, I won't teach my doctrine. Now, how many of you have heard that before? They always do. They always do because it defines them. So he's saying you've got to be on guard because there's a presence. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give some examples from the past in verses 5 through 7 to kind of help you to understand that not everything is kosher with people who say they're from God. All right? So the first one, God punished those who murmured against him in the wilderness. I have always been intrigued by this. You read through Exodus... You read through Leviticus, you re- if you trudge through Leviticus, you read through Numbers, you read through Deuteronomy, and you see a people who have been redeemed, brought out of salvation in, in Egypt. They witness the plagues. I mean, and listen, when I say witness the plagues, they saw that the plagues were falling on Egypt, but not on them. Remember? It wasn't falling on Israel. It was falling on Egypt. They witnessed... The last plague, the slaughter of the firstborn by the, the death angel. Then they're given freedom. The pillar of... Think about this. If you had a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to guide you throughout your day. There it is. Just follow me. And then they saw the... I mean, the Red Sea just part. And they could walk across it to the other side of the Sinai. And then they see God providing manna from heaven every morning, except, of course, one on the Sabbath. And, they, you know, and all the other things that God has done. They're, they're at Mount, Mount Sinai, and they see the rumblings on the mountain. And you, you see Moses and his face shining because he's been in the presence of God. And, and the presence of God is evident everywhere. What is amazing to me is even in spite of that, that generation rejected him. Oh, it's just all coincidence. Hey, <laughs> just a weird time in the earth that time. It's, yes, it's just coincidence. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. That's a reflection of their hearts. They're blind. See, this is what I'm trying to say to you. They saw God working this way always. It's not like they, well, I, ca- I think I kind of remember when God did something. It's like, what did he do this week? And it was just over their head, and God judged them because they murmured against God. I mean, you think about it. If somebody takes you out of slavery, you think you're going to grumble about, what am I going to eat for dinner today? I mean, he was mighty enough to take you out of slavery. 
to have you pass through the sea, and you're going to worry about, we don't have any meat. Okay, he gives you meat. He gives you quail, and what does the Scripture say? It rots between your teeth. See, this is what he's saying here. This is an example that what he's, what is, what's the point? What's the example? Well, so I don't catch what the example is. The point he's making is, is that among us, not everyone is a believer. Even in this room right here, I don't know who you are, but in this room right here, there is a reality, and the reality is, is that not everybody truly believes. Now, if you would ask them and say, oh, do you believe? Oh, yeah, I believe. But they deceive themselves. Okay, let's go on now. The next one is this. God punished angels who rebelled against him. Now, again, this is another one that I don't understand. The angelic beings who were serving the Almighty in his presence, rebelling. Can't grasp it. You know what? Another one I can't grasp is Adam and Eve sin. Why they did it. There's no explanation as to why they did it. They just did it. And it doomed the rest of us. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? The reality is, listen to me, the reality is the angels, even in the presence of the Almighty, seeing His holiness. And the chief cherubim was Satan, Lucifer. Think about that. Who served right in the presence of the Almighty. He knew who he was. And he rebelled. This is what Jude is trying to say to us. He's trying to give us some examples of what we're talking about here. Here's the next one. God punished Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual sin. Hey, let me just stop for a moment. I've got to make a point here. Uh, once you read that passage there for a minute, guys. Gave themselves over to what? Sexual immorality. A lot of us will say that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for the homosexual issue. Homosexuality was a part of their culture. We do know that. We, we see that in Genesis. But Jude is making it very clear that, that what they were punished for was their what? Sexual immorality. Not just homosexuality. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a very clear point. In fact, I, I think it's very interesting because we kind of we want to put sins in different categories. So like adultery is acceptable to the church today. How do you say that? Well it is. We don't make a big a fuss over that one as we do homosexuality. But it's a major sin. Why? Because here, there are very few times that in the Bible it comes right out and says this. This is the will of God. Very few times. One is, is that you and I give thanks. Well, that's easy. No, it isn't. Because we're not thankful people. The other one is, this is the will of God, that ye abstain from sexual immorality. That's all... That's, that's not just... That is all wrong sexual behavior. Period. Outside of what God wanted it to be, which was in a marriage. You and I are to abstain from it. And, and the reality is, that's a serious sin. If you go to Proverbs, it talks about the man who, who, who commits adultery, and it talks about that other sins can be atoned for except that one. Can you take fire to your bosom and not be burned, is what it says. So that's a serious sin. And so God judged them for this sin. Now, here's their present actions. Look with me at verses 8, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time here today. He's going to talk about the actions of these apostates. The actions of these apostate teachers. First of all, their pollution. Here's what they do. These apostates pollute their own bodies. Look with me at verse 8. Likewise, these dreamers defile 
the flesh. What's here, what, the issue of defiling the flesh here is talking about uncleanness. They're engaged in activities that are destroying their bodies, that are polluting themselves, that are making them really unclean before God. That's the issue here. The issue of pollution here isn't that they smell like smog or smell like a coal furnace. He's not talking about that. He's talking about their actions and their activity polluting themselves, marking themselves. And in some people it's very evident. Like, have you met people who are 20 years going on 60? You say, what do you mean by that? They're in their 20s, but they look like they're 60 because the activities that they have engaged in have really aged them. How many of you have met people like that? We all have, haven't we? 20 going on 60 because their activities are polluting their bodies. They look really old. I mean, I was surprised the other day. I saw somebody. They looked old, but they were young. Sin will destroy your bodies. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sin will destroy your bodies. This is what he's saying. They pollute their bodies. Oh, they love Jesus. They say they love Jesus. But they're defiling their bodies is what, what uh, Jude is saying here. Let's go on. They reject true authority. They have a hard time with true authority. They really do. They, 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 they reject any authority because they're in control. And it doesn't have to be outright rejection. It could be subtle rejection of authority. You understand? It could be subtly rejecting the authority. Specifically, the authority that Jude is talking about here is biblical authority. They, they reject the authority within the church because they're doing their own thing. And, and here's the reason why. If you're destroying your body through your activities, the authority is going to say to you, you need to stop, so you're going to what? You're going to reject that. You know better. You're just going to keep doing your thing. And that's what he's saying here. The apostate just wants to keep doing his thing. So he's going to reject authority. Not just physical authority, but the authority ultimately from the Word of God, because that's where true authority comes from. See, biblical leaders have authority not in themselves, but from the Word of God. So they reject the Word of God. That's the true authority. All right, let's go on now. Here's the other one. Their slander. Now, they, what, what he's talking about is their mouth. All you have to do is listen to them and you understand where they're at. So, look at what he says here. First of all, they speak evil of things that they do not fully comprehend, such as angels. Have you ever met somebody that just talks crazy? Oh, he just, oh man, this nonsense comes out of him all the time. He just talks crazy. Talking about stuff he doesn't know. And he talks about it authoritatively. This is one of the marks of an apostate. They will say things that they truly don't understand, and they'll talk about things that they don't truly understand, like angels. And specifically, just like with Peter, remember when we just looked at Peter, in Second Peter, he talked about false teachers there. It's almost, there's a lot of parallels between Second Peter and Jude, Second Peter 2 and Jude. Second Peter was talking about that they speak evil of angels. The angels that he's talking about here are fallen angels. Demons. Satan. 
And it's because they operate out of their own ignorance. Let me put to rest something here. I'm not going to say you're an apostate if you say this, but I need to put this to rest. Oftentimes I hear this and it makes me cringe. Boy, the devil's doing one over on me today. That's craziness. Life is doing one over on you today. To blame everything on the devil is to give him a lot more credit than he deserves. The reality is, is yes, you, we do have an enemy who is opposed to us, but we give him a whole lot more credit. It may be we strive against the world, our own flesh, and Satan is what the Bible says. And the fact of the matter is, is life may just be hard with you that day and you're just blaming it on Satan and it's just life. Or you made a mistake, you're reaping the consequences of it, and you're blaming it on the devil. See, that, can I be honest with you, when people make those kinds of statements, I'll tell you what it reflects to me. Ignorance. Biblical illiteracy. That's not truly grasping what's going on here. And this is one of the key marks of an apostate. An apostate, listen to me, is going to say things about the enemy, say things about stuff, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's going to make assumptions about things because it really is reflecting a lack of maturity on their part. The issue is a lack of maturity here. And so Jude goes on and he specifically talks about this issue of talking about angels here. And he says this. He wants to point this out. Not even Michael, the archangel, speaks that way to the enemy. Look at what he says there. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed with the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked you. So even the angels, the true good angels, when they contend with the evil angels, don't even talk that way. You understand? They don't even talk that way. So here's the reasoning. Here's their reason. This is how they think. They reason as animals as they corrupt themselves. They're basically driven by their desires. It used to irk me when I would listen to the so-called talking heads in our country, the intellectuals in our country, say that we need to give out condoms to everybody because teenagers especially because they're just going to do it. It used to irk me until I thought about it. You say, will you approve of that? No, I didn't say I approve of it, but... It used to irk me, but I'm not as irked by their thinking anymore. I'm not irked by that anymore. I'll tell you why I'm not irked by it. Because the people, they don't know Jesus, so they operate not by an understanding of truth, they operate by their what? Their base instincts. What did you say, Lou? Their emotions, their feelings, their desires, which is exactly what my cat does. Do you know what I'm saying? My cat does the same thing. Or your dog. And so this is what Jude is saying here about these false teachers. They operate, they reason as animals, what, according to their corrupt desires as they corrupt themselves. As they corrupt themselves. 
Hey, look, just talk to an addict. Heroin is a serious issue in our community. You guys know that? Everybody should know that. Heroin is a serious community. You know, the problem with heroin is, is once you take it, you crave it from then on out. And when you are given to giving into the desires of your body, they take over. And so when you are addicted, people who have been addicted know what I'm talking about. They give in, either whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, that consumes you and you are driven by that. You are driven by that. This is what he's talking about there. These people are driven by their desires. Let's go on now. Here's their error. He's going to give three illustrations to talk about what's wrong with them. They seek to worship God in their own way and hate others. This is the, the way of Cain. Remember Cain's sin? He wanted to worship God his own way and he hated Abel. So they want to worship God in their own way and they hate others. That's the way of Cain. The other thing is they also suffer from the error of Balaam and that is they are motivated by personal gain and greed. They're in it for themselves. They are motivated by personal gain and greed. It's all about them. That's the other issue about these apostates. And then finally, the way of Korah, they rebel against God's ordained authority. They rebel against God's ordained authority. And that's what we see about the error of their ways. Three things. They worship in their own way. They hate others. They are motivated by personal gain and greed. And they rebel against God's ordained authority. That's the apostate. Now, next week, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to finish up Jude. We're going to look at the rest of this uh, epistle. And we're going to talk about the presence of apostates, that is, their being among us. And then we're going to look at what he says that we need to do about apostates. All right, so let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.